Our Bible reading is from the book of Jonah, and the last chapter four, page 929 in the Church Bibles. Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, God, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant though you did not tend it or made it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lovely, thank you, Delia. So good morning, everyone. I'm Debs, and I'm on the staff team here at St. Jude's. And it really is a great privilege to be speaking on this passage. There's just so much in it, and it was quite hard to know what to leave out. But it's okay, rest assured, I'm not going to say everything that I thought about. So we will get away in time for lunch, so that's good. So for those of you who are visiting or who are new here today, we are just coming to the end of our sermon series on Jonah. And he has got so much to teach us in this very short book. And one of the things that I really love is that Jesus can be found in this book. And I think it's really good because often for some people there's a disconnect between the Old Testament and the New Testament and people think that God is different in the Old to the New Testament. 
But this book just shows us that actually he's all the way through and Jesus is all the way through. So it's really good to see that. So at this point in the series, we meet Jonah as he waits outside Nineveh to see what God is going to do. He's already run away from God. He's nearly died in a storm at sea. He's been thrown overboard. He's been swallowed by a huge fish. He turned back to God, recognizing that salvation only comes from God. And then he traveled to Nineveh, and finally he has delivered God's message. So now he's sitting a short distance from the city, waiting to see what God will do to these sinful people of Nineveh. And Jonah is angry because the people turned from their wicked ways and they've turned back to God. Jonah had predicted this would happen because as he said in verse two of what we've just seen, he says, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So he knows that God is gracious and compassionate. And this is the same Jonah who at the bottom of bottoms, in the belly of a fish, in the bottom of the sea, he experienced the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of God for himself. So he knows this is true, and yet he's angry. He's still angry with God. But God is really patient with Jonah just as he is patient with us. I expect those of us who have followed Jesus for some time um, will agree that there are times when we don't actually understand what God is doing and why he's acting in a particular way. There are things that happen that throw us off balance and throw us into confusion and despair. And we may doubt God's existence. We may doubt that actually we've met Jesus. We may doubt that he's real. And the thing to remember in these times is that just because we follow Jesus, it does not mean that all the pain and difficulty and troubles in our life will disappear. Remember that Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. And then he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we will have trouble but we can take heart because he has overcome the world. And it's likely that many of us here today, and I include myself in this, are facing a few storms in our life at the moment. So let us take heart from Jesus' words. He has overcome the world. We can trust that he will lead us through with infinite patience. So just as God was patient with Jonah, He's going to be patient with us too. So not only is God patient with us, but he has great compassion. Verses 10 and 11 said, they say, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. And that's Lord telling Jonah that. And then God says, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? So in our Bibles here, it, it's using the word concern, but actually the word compassion fits there as well. And uh, um, so God is challenging Jonah. 
in that he has compassion for the plant, and yet he had nothing to do with that plant growing or dying. So Jonah has compassion for the plant. How much more compassion does God have for his people? Compassion can mean grieving over someone or something, or to have your heart broken, or to weep for it. And we see examples of God having compassion on his people throughout the Bible. Here, we've got God weeping for the people of Nineveh who were lost. In Genesis, just before the flood, God looks at the evil in the world and his heart is filled with pain. Jesus looked upon the people and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then Jesus chooses to care so deeply for each one of us that he is moved with compassion and love. He grieves for for us as we wander away for him. He sees how lost we are. And this compassion is not abstract. He doesn't just look at us in our messy lives and think us as fools. He doesn't leave us to struggle while he looks at us in scorn. No, he loves us and he feels our distress and our lostness. And in the same way, when we love someone, we feel their pain and distress. So God feels our pain. Jesus weeps for us. And that makes God vulnerable to suffering for and with us. We remember Jesus and all that he has done, the compassion that he showed for us in our lostness. So as you know, I do love football. I, well, many of you know that. Some of you might not. So for those of you who don't, I do love football. I support Pompey. And there's a big rivalry with Southampton, despite the fact that at the moment, this season at least, they are two leagues above us. So in the real world, it makes no difference to Pompey whether Southampton win or lose. But when Southampton are playing, I watch the results, and I have to confess that more often than I would like, when Southampton lose, I'm glad. (laughs) Now, that's not really very compassionate, is it? It's not really very compassionate at all. all. But then, I remember that actually I have friends who live in Southampton or near Southampton, and they support Southampton. So actually, it matters to them when their team lose. And so I can feel a little bit of that pain for them. Only a little bit but I do feel a little bit. But the thing is, if I can feel compassion for them, just imagine God's compassion for us when we're in pain and we're distressed. And God is really generous with his compassion. So he does feel our pain. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he asked for forgiveness for those who were crucifying him and for those who were mocking him. So despite their guilt... In crucifying him, Jesus recognized their need for forgiveness. He had a heart full of generous love. And Jesus is the prophet that perhaps Jonah could have been or should have been. Obviously, Jesus is infinitely more so. But Jesus didn't, and he didn't just weep for us. He actually died for us. Jonah went and sat outside the city hoping to watch the destruction of the city as a result of God's wrath. Jesus went outside the city to die on a cross for our salvation. That is incredible compassion. 
So God is both patient with us and he has incredibly generous compassion for us. His love is so big. And for some people, that's enough. They don't need to know about God's mercy because their understanding of God stops at the God is love bit. But is that real love? If you love someone, you're protective of and angry at anything or anyone who is potentially harming them. So a bit like a lioness with her cubs. Although I do recognize, and Neil would tell me, that a lioness is an animal and therefore she doesn't feel love, she's just protecting her offspring. But I quite like the illustration because the lioness is so fierce in protection of those cubs and she will do her utmost to keep them safe. And it's a bit like that, I think, for us. When we love somebody, we will do anything we can to keep them safe. We want to keep them safe in a positive and a proactive way because we want the best for them so that they can develop and grow and flourish into the person that they're supposed to be. And that's how God loves us. He knows the best possibility for each one of us, and he wants us to grow into that person. And therefore, there are consequences to our going against those best possibilities. So God has to punish evil, because the consequences of greed, selfishness, and rebellion are real. God's love is real. His love is so much bigger. His love is good. It's more than good. It brings together both holiness and justice. So why must God punish sin? Because he wouldn't be perfectly good if he overlooked evil. Why does God want people not to be lost because in his perfect love he wants people to be saved so those two traits come together in perfect goodness and love in God so he has to punish sin but he doesn't want us to be lost so in verse 3 of the chapter Jonah tells God that he knows that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he's a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah has met God's grace and forgiveness. And yet he can't see how the people of Nineveh have also met that grace. He's angry. He doesn't understand. He can't see that. And maybe if we were standing where Jonah stood... Maybe we wouldn't understand either. But we stand the other side of the cross. Jesus took all our wrongdoings and he died on the cross for us. That's how he can be infinitely just because all sin was punished on the cross. But that's also how God can be infinitely loving because he took it on himself. So he can be infinitely just and infinitely loving He took all the sin himself, so the sin was dealt with. But he loved us, so he took it on himself. And it's only through the cross that this can be understood. So if you don't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you might believe in a God who accepts everyone, no matter how they live, 
And that might be quite comforting. But is it glorious? It might mean that regardless of how we live our lives, we'll be accepted by God because he loves everyone. Imagine for a moment what that would look like. There would be no need to change our behavior. Doesn't matter if we hurt anyone or not. But actually, there's no consequence because God loves us. Or you might believe in a God who is only just, who acts as a judge. So the only way you can get to heaven is by following all the rules, keeping the perfect life and being exceptionally good. Now, I quite like rules and fairness, and so that appeals to me. It would mean everyone would have to keep the rules to get into heaven. There would be no excuses, no get-out clauses. Keep the rules or else. It sounds really good, except I know that I don't measure up to God's holiness. I can't keep all the rules either. I would have to get everything right all the time, and I don't. So it's not really a very comfortable sort of God. It's quite scary, really. So we need both. We need both. We need holiness and we need justice. And both are found in the good news of Jesus. Jonah sees God's love and his mercy. The whole book of Jonah is the story of God pursuing Jonah through his rebellion and misunderstandings. God shows him grace again and again and again. But Jonah holds on to his own self-righteousness. At the end of the book, God asks Jonah whether it's right for him to show mercy and compassion to the inhabitants of the city. And we don't actually know what Jonah's answer is. In the light of all that God has shown Jonah, which does he choose? Does he choose to hold on to his pride and self-righteousness? Or does he accept that God is pure goodness? holy and loving and merciful. And so I finish with a question for us. Do you hold on to your pride and your self-righteousness? Or do you recognize God's perfect goodness, his love and his justice at work in your life? The holiness and perfect love and the mercy that is given through Jesus. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross that demonstrates both infinite love and infinite justice. Help us, Lord, to see that in our own lives. To live lives that demonstrate that to those around us. Help us to put aside our pride and our selfishness and our self-righteousness and our greed. Help us instead, Lord, to look to you for your love and your mercy and your justice. Amen. And so as we sing again about the goodness of God. For those of you who have children to collect, if you could collect them, so that's Blaze and Ignite and Embers. And I think Beacons will be brought down to us. Is that right? Lovely. Thanks, Bryn.